volume one chapter two of guy mannering this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by dion gines salt lake city utah guy mannering or the astrologer by sir walter scott volume one chapter two comes me cranking in and cuts me from the best of all my land a huge half-moon a monstrous cantle out henry the fourth part one the company in the parlour at ellangowan consisted of the laird and a sort of person who might be the village schoolmaster or perhaps the minister's assistant his appearance was too shabby to indicate the minister considering he was on a visit to the laird the laird himself was one of those second-rate sort of persons that are to be found frequently in rural situations fielding has described one class as ferris consumera nade but the love of field sports indicates a certain activity of mind which had forsaken mr bertram if ever he possessed it a good-humoured listlessness of countenance formed the only remarkable expression of his features although they were rather handsome than otherwise in fact his physiognomy indicated the inanity of character which pervaded his life i will give the reader some insight into his state and conversation before he has finished a long lecture to mannering upon the propriety and comfort of wrapping his stirrup-irons round with a wisp of straw when he had occasion to ride in a chill evening godfrey bertram of ellangowan succeeded to a long pedigree and a short rent-roll like many lairds of that period his list of forefathers ascended so high that they were lost in the barbarous ages of galwegian independence so that his genealogical tree besides the christian and crusading names of godfrey's and gilbert's and dennis's and roland's without end bore heathen fruit of yet darker ages arth's and knarth's and donegild's and hanlon's in truth they had been formerly the stormy chiefs of a desert but extensive domain and the heads of a numerous tribe called macdingaway though they afterwards adopted the norman surname of bertram they had made war raised rebellions been defeated beheaded and hanged as became a family of importance for many centuries but they had gradually lost ground in the world and from being themselves the heads of treason and traitorous conspiracies the bertrams or macdingaways of ellangowan had sunk into subordinate accomplices their most fatal exhibitions in this capacity took place in the seventeenth century when the foul fiend possessed them with a spirit of contradiction which uniformly involved them in controversy with the ruling powers they reversed the conduct of the celebrated vicar of bray and adhered as tenaciously to the weaker side as that worthy divine to the stronger 
and truly like him they had their reward alan bertram of ellangowan who flourished tempore carole primi was says my authority sir robert douglas in his scottish baronage see the title ellangowan a steady loyalist and full of zeal for the cause of his sacred majesty in which he united with the great marquis of montrose and other truly zealous and honourable patriots and sustained great losses in that behalf he had the honour of knighthood conferred upon him by his most sacred majesty and was sequestrated as a malignant by the parliament sixteen forty two and afterwards as a resolutioner in the year sixteen forty eight these two cross-grained epithets of malignant and resolutioner cost poor sir allan one half of the family estate his son dennis bertram married a daughter of an eminent fanatic who had a seat in the council of state and saved by that union the remainder of the family property but as ill chance would have it he became enamoured of the lady's principles as well as of her charms and my author gives him this character he was a man of eminent parts and resolution for which reason he was chosen by the western counties one of the committee of noblemen and gentlemen to report their griefs to the privy council of charles the second anent the coming in of the highland host in sixteen seventy eight for undertaking this patriotic task he underwent a fine to pay which he was obliged to mortgage half of the remaining moiety of his paternal property this loss he might have recovered by dint of severe economy but on the breaking out of argyle's rebellion dennis bertram was again suspected by government apprehended and sent to denator castle on the coast of the mearns and there broke his neck in an attempt to escape from a subterranean habitation called the wigs vault in which he was confined with some eighty of the same persuasion the appraiser therefore as the holder of a mortgage was then called entered upon possession and in the language of hotspur came me crankin' in and cut the family out of another monstrous cantle of their remaining property donahoe bertram with somewhat of an irish name and somewhat of an irish temper succeeded to the diminished property of ellangowan he turned out of doors the rev aaron mcbriar his mother's chaplain it is said they quarrelled about the good graces of a milkmaid drank himself daily drunk with brimming healths to the king council and bishops held orgies with the laird of lag theophilus oglethorpe and sir james turner and lastly took his grey gelding and joined clavers at killiecrankie at the skirmish of dunkeld in sixteen eighty nine he was shot dead by a cameronian with a silver button being supposed to have proof from the evil one against lead and steel and his grave is still called the wicked laird's lair
his son lewis had more prudence than seems usually to have belonged to the family he nursed what property was yet left to him for donahoe's excesses as well as fines and forfeitures had made another inroad upon the estate and although even he did not escape the fatality which induced the lairds of ellangowan to interfere with politics he had yet the prudence ere he went out with lord kenmore in seventeen fifteen to convey his estate to trustees in order to parry pains and penalties in case the earl of mar could not put down the protestant succession but scylla and cherubus a word to the wise he only saved his estate at expense of a lawsuit which again subdivided the family property he was however a man of resolution he sold part of the lands evacuated the old cattle where the family lived in their decadence as a mouse said an old farmer lives under a furlot pulling down part of these venerable ruins he built with the stones a narrow house of three stories high with a front like a grenadier's cap having in the very centre a round window like the single eye of a cyclops two windows on each side and a door in the middle leading to a parlour and withdrawing-room full of all manner of cross-lights this was the new place of ellangowan in which we left our hero better amused perhaps than our readers and to this lewis bertram retreated full of projects for re-establishing the prosperity of his family he took some land into his own hand rented some from neighbouring proprietors bought and sold highland cattle and cheviot sheep rode to fairs and trysts fought hard bargains and held necessity at the staff's end as well as he might but what he gained in purse he lost in honour for such agricultural and commercial negotiations were very ill looked upon by his brother lairds who minded nothing but cock-fighting hunting coursing and horse-racing with now and then the alternative of a desperate duel the occupations which he followed encroached in their opinion upon the article of ellangowan's gentry and he found it necessary gradually to estrange himself from their society and sink into what was then a very ambiguous character a gentleman farmer in the midst of his schemes death claimed his tribute and the scanty remains of a large property descended upon godfrey bertram the present possessor his only son the danger of the father's speculations was soon seen deprived of laird lewis's personal and active superintendence all his undertakings miscarried and became either abortive or perilous without a single spark of energy to meet or repel these misfortunes godfrey put his faith in the activity of another he kept neither hunters nor hounds nor any other southern preliminaries to ruin but as has been observed of his countrymen he kept a man of business who answered the purpose equally well under this gentleman's supervision small debts grew into large interests were accumulated upon capitals 
movable bonds became heritable and law charges were heaped upon all though ellen gowan possessed so little the spirit of a litigant that he was on two occasions charged to make payment of the expenses of a long lawsuit although he had never before heard that he had such cases in court meanwhile his neighbors predicted his final ruin those of the higher rank with some malignity accounted him already a degraded brother the lower classes seeing nothing enviable in his situation marked his embarrassments with more compassion he was even a kind of favorite with them and upon the division of a common or the holding of a blackfishing or poaching court or any similar occasion when they conceived themselves oppressed by the gentry they were in the habit of saying to each other ah if ellen gowan honest man had his ain that his forebears had afore him he wouldna see the poor folk trodden down this gate meanwhile this general good opinion never prevented their taking advantage of him on all possible occasions turning their cattle into his parks stealing his wood shooting his game and so forth for the laird honest man he'll never find it he never minds what a poor body does peddlers gypsies tinkers vagrants of all descriptions roosted about his outhouses or harbored in his kitchen and the laird who was na nice body but a thorough gossip like most weak men found recompense for his hospitality in the pleasure of questioning them on the news of the countryside a circumstance arrested ellen gowan's progress on the high road to ruin this was his marriage with a lady who had a portion of about four thousand pounds nobody in the neighborhood could conceive why she married him and endowed him with her wealth unless because he had a tall handsome figure a good set of features a genteel address and the most perfect good humor it might be some additional consideration that she was herself at the reflecting age of twenty-eight and had no near relations to control her actions or choice it was in this lady's behalf confined for the first time after her marriage that the speedy and active express mentioned by the old dame of the cottage had been dispatched to kippletringen on the night of mannering's arrival though we have said so much of the laird himself it still remains that we make the reader in some degree acquainted with his companion this was abel sampson commonly called from his occupation as a pedagogue domini sampson he was of low birth but having evinced even from his cradle an uncommon seriousness of disposition the poor parents were encouraged to hope that their bairn as they expressed it might wag his pow in a pulpit yet with an ambitious view to such a consummation they pinched and pared rose early and lay down late ate dry bread and drank cold water to secure to abel the means of learning meantime his tall ungainly figure his taciturn and grave manners and some grotesque habits of swinging his limbs and screwing his visage 
while reciting his task made poor samson the ridicule of all his school companions the same qualities secured him at glasgow college a plentiful share of the same sort of notice half the youthful mob of the yards used to assemble regularly to see dominie samson for he had already attained that honourable title descend the stairs from the greek class with his lexicon under his arm his long misshapen legs sprawling abroad and keeping awkward time to the play of his immense shoulder-blades as they raised and depressed the loose and threadbare black coat which was his constant and only wear when he spoke the efforts of the professor professor of divinity though he was were totally inadequate to restrain the inextinguishable laughter of the students and sometimes even to repress his own the long sallow visage the goggle eyes the huge underjaw which appeared not to open and shut by an act of volition but to be dropped and hoisted up again by some complicated machinery within the inner man the harsh and dissonant voice and the screech-owl notes to which it was exalted when he was exhorted to pronounce more distinctly all added fresh subject for mirth to the torn cloak and shattered shoe which have afforded legitimate subjects of raillery against the poor scholar from juvenile's time downward it was never known that samson either exhibited irritability at this ill usage or made the least attempt to retort upon his tormentors he slunk from college by the most secret paths he could discover and plunged himself into his miserable lodging where for eighteen pence a week he was allowed the benefit of a straw mattress and if his landlady was in good humour permission to study his task by her fire under all these disadvantages he obtained a competent knowledge of greek and latin and some acquaintance with the sciences in progress of time abel samson probationer of divinity was admitted to the privileges of a preacher but alas partly from his own bashfulness partly owing to a strong and obvious disposition to risibility which pervaded the congregation upon his first attempt he became totally incapable of proceeding in his intended discourse gasped grinned hideously rolled his eyes till the congregation thought them flying out of his head shut the bible stumbled down the pulpit stairs trampling upon the old women who generally take their station there and was ever after designated as a sticket minister and thus he wandered back to his own country with blighted hopes and prospects to share the poverty of his parents as he had neither friend nor confidant hardly even an acquaintance no one had the means of observing closely how dominie samson bore a disappointment which supplied the whole town with a week's sport it would be endless even to mention the numerous jokes to which it gave birth from a ballad called samson's riddle written upon the subject by a smart young student of humanity 
to the sly hope of the principal that the fugitive had not in imitation of his mighty namesake taken the college gates along with him in his retreat to all appearance the equanimity of samson was unshaken he sought to assist his parents by teaching a school and soon had plenty of scholars but very few fees in fact he taught the sons of farmers for what they chose to give him and the poor for nothing and to the shame of the former be it spoken the pedagogue's gains never equalled those of a skilful ploughman he wrote however a good hand and added something to his pittance by copying accounts and writing letters for ellangowan by degrees the laird who was much estranged from general society became partial to that of dominie sampson conversation it is true was out of the question but the dominie was a good listener and stirred the fire with some address he attempted even to snuff the candles but was unsuccessful and relinquished that ambitious post of courtesy after having twice reduced the parlour to total darkness so his civilities thereafter were confined to taking off his glass of ale in exactly the same time and measure with the laird and in uttering certain indistinct murmurs of acquiescence at the conclusion of the long and winding stories of ellangowan on one of these occasions he presented for the first time to mannering his tall gaunt awkward bony figure attired in a threadbare suit of black with a coloured handkerchief not over clean about his sinewy scraggy neck and his nether person arrayed in grey breeches dark blue stockings clouded shoes and small copper buckles such is a brief outline of the lives and fortunes of those two persons in whose society mannering now found himself comfortably seated end of volume one chapter two